The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Yeah, right. Spring break. It's all good in the world. You know what I've learned? I've done this now. I feel like an old man, but I've done this now like 20 years. And what I've learned is when spring break hits, y'all have a hard time staying awake in here. Because I know what you're doing. Y'all go out real active on the weekends. You're pulling weeds. You're going outside. You're getting sunburned. You come in here and you get sleepy. And so I'm going to be extra attentive of who is sleeping in the service. So uh, it's good to see you here. Uh, we've had a rough week in the family. Uh, we lost our dear, dear, dear beloved Jerry playing chalk. He went to be with the Lord this week. Um, we also had Mark Whitehurst had a sudden loss of his father who passed this week. And then Justin Mackey uh, lost his stepmother this week. And so uh, if you know them, and you know most of you do, please reach out to them. This is when a lot of the journey begins um, uh, for them of a new life and a new journey. The Lord is faithful. I was, I was about to lose it during those songs because it was all about that we are alive in Christ, and I praise the Lord uh, for those truths. And so I'm praying for you as a family as you grieve the loss of all these loved ones. Uh, we had a new baby born this week. I know at least one. There's probably two or three more that I haven't quite figured out yet. So we praise the Lord for that. Sarah Baker had her baby. So uh, we, we thank the Lord for that. So uh, we are continuing in our study through the book of Genesis. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been finishing up the Genesis narrative, which will wrap up our study of Genesis right in time for Easter. And Easter is going to be in Acts. It's where we see God's sovereign plan to use evil wicked men who crucified Christ to be the greatest good in the history of the world, uh, in the history of time. And so we are continuing to look at how God is sovereign, he is good, and he uses evil for good. Did you hear what I said? Do y'all remember that? Let's say it again. God uses good. All right, so he is not evil, he does not cause evil, but he uses evil for good. Uh, today we continue, we're going to be in chapter 39, so if you brought your Bibles, please open Genesis chapter 39, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 31, so some portions I'll have to give you the cliff notes for the sake of time, but uh, here we pick up back where we left off in chapter, uh, a chapter uh, before we took a break last week, the story took an interruption, but we left off in chapter 37 in Potiphar's house. And that's where we find Joseph again. He's in Potiphar's house. Now, do you remember how Joseph got to Potiphar's house? He was not on vacation. He was betrayed by his family. His brothers committed egregious evil against him. And I use that word carefully because it is evil. People do evil things. And we know it. We don't come into here and pretend that that's not going on. That happens in the world. God has given us choice. He allows us to use our choice. And unfortunately, tragically, that means there's evil in the world. But God uses evil for good. And so his brothers committed evil. They nearly killed him, threw him into, down into a pit. And then he went, as the, tra the slave traders came and purchased him, it says he went down to Egypt. And so we find him purchased by Potiphar out of slavery into Potiphar's household. And we are going to pick up there. And we're going to ask God to minister to your hearts today to believe. 
that the evil that you have experienced, God is going to use it for good. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand with our hearts so much deeper than just our minds, that our hearts, our spirits, our souls, and our whole being, that you will give us faith to believe that you use evil for good. Evil comes in all kinds of form. We have sickness and death because of sin in the world. We commit evil ourselves against others intentionally, unintentionally. And people sin against us and do evil against us intentionally, unintentionally. But Lord, in all of it, all of it, you are good. And you're going to use evil for good for your children. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's get started with chapter 39, verse 1. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt... And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down to Egypt. Okay, so here we see a little foreshadowing that there's some reason that the author mentions now Potiphar, where he was purchased, the household he's working in, is a big deal. He's connected to Pharaoh. And so the author, all throughout the story, is going to drop little breadcrumbs, give you little hints, little reminders. There's, there's more going on than meets the eye right here. That God is up to good. And you kind of have to learn as you read the scriptures to look for those little comments like, oh, this guy that purchased Joseph, he is very important. He's high up in, in uh, Pharaoh's uh, household. He's, he's the head of the guard. And so verse, three, verse 2 says right up front, it states very clearly what we've been seeing implied all throughout the Joseph narratives. It states very clearly, the Lord was with Joseph. Where, where was the Lord? How was the Lord with Joseph? <laughs> I mean, I don't see the Lord with Joseph. I see Joseph getting done wrong everywhere he turns. His brothers have done him wrong. Some wicked slave traders taking people and, and human traffickers are getting Joseph and traffic him. And now some powerful Egyptian dude is, is forcing him to serve him in his house. The Lord's with him. The only way I know that, the only way that I believe that is because God said it. And I think sometimes we need a banner written over our heads, a verse 2 of chapter 39 that says, the Lord is with you right now. And I know you don't see it, but the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 2 continues, and he became successful. He became successful and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Joseph has Got to redefine success in life. Do you think Joseph would say, I'm successful right now? As he's in Potiphar's house, an indentured servant having been human trafficked across the line to go into this household, sold out by his brothers. Is this when he made out his life plan? Are these, are this, was this his goal in life? No. How do we define success? Success should be defined as faithfulness to God's word, faithfulness 
to God's word. And in, in, the new, uh, in the new members class called Connection Group, we work through how do we define success as a church? And we say, faithfulness is defined not as how big we are, how, how many things we do. Faithfulness is defined as is faith, success is defined as faithfulness to God's word. And the scripture says that he was successful. Not what he thought he was going to be doing, not where he thought he would be, but he's successful because he is being faithful to God's word. Oftentimes, we, mistaking, we mistake the fruit for success. We, just, we, we mistake the results or our accomplishments, or reaching the destination or the goal, we think, well, that's what success is, is if I do what I was set out to do, if I compare myself to others or to my own expectations, we define success and failure that way. But the scripture says, no, success is faithfulness. How do you know at the end of the day if you were successful? Would you say you strove for faithfulness to God's word? The fruit is up to God. Whether you end up here or there or, or having this type of accomplishment or this type of... So much of that is just beyond your control and it's up to God. So God is in charge of the fruitfulness. You are in charge of your own faithfulness. And so Joseph has to go through a massive redefinition of success in his life. And so the Lord says, I am with you. He is with Joseph. And the Lord says... He became a successful man. But notice the author also says he became a successful man in the house of an Egyptian master. So clearly this would not be the way Joseph would define success. So verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him, Joseph. So Potiphar saw the Lord was with Joseph. How, do we, how did Potiphar know the Lord was with Joseph? How did, how does, as it continues, that the Lord, Yahweh, all capital letters, that means God's proper name, Yahweh, caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. How does Potiphar know that it's the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that is making Joseph successful? Because Joseph said so. And we'll see in a minute, everywhere Joseph went, he was saying, this is not me, this is God. This is not me, this is God. Interpret the dream. You can do that, right? I heard you can do that. No, God can do that. So he's saying to Potiphar, the Lord, Yahweh, he's the reason you're being blessed. He's verse four. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended to him. The scripture says, God promised Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will do this in you. And we see God being faithful to Joseph, faithful to his promises, giving him favor. And he made him overseer over his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. God is blessing the house of Potiphar for Joseph's sake. God, where are you in all of this? He's right there. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and out in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything except what's for supper. That's all he had to worry about. Potiphar says, man, Joseph is so good. I got one concern. What am I eating for dinner tonight? 
Not like, is there going to be dinner, but what exactly do I want? So life is good because Joseph is there. And what we see is the Bible is making very clear. God's inspired writer is saying, God is with Joseph in all of this. So it's easy for us to downplay the trauma that Joseph has experienced at the wicked, evil hands of his brothers because the narrative quickly passes through. But we can't forget how traumatic that was, how, how evil they were to him. Yeah, he shot his mouth off a little bit as a little brother, but what little brother does it? That doesn't justify virtually killing the man and selling him into slavery. And now he's an indentured servant for life. If anyone had a reason to say, I hate my brothers, I hate everybody in my life, I've been done wrong, and to be filled with resentment and anger and hatred and venom and lost all hope for the future and play the victim card, it's Joseph. But what is Joseph doing? He's faithful day in and day out, and God is making him fruitful and so Joseph isn't, isn't trying to get back at Potiphar. Joseph is working hard. And the same should be for you. Yeah, people really do evil against you. But that doesn't justify hatred, vengeance, resentment, anger, hopelessness, and playing the victim card. God still calls you to faithfulness because he says, I'm sovereign, I'm good, and I'll use all evil for good. Okay, so all is well. Things are looking good. And then all of a sudden we get to chapter verse 6, continuing verse 6. It says, now Joseph was a handsome feller. That's hillbilly. Joseph was a handsome feller in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lay with me. Now, I want you to think about the temptation here. Joseph, if he's not in a good place, this would be the beginning of the end of Joseph. One commentary says that Joseph first had to prove that he could rule over himself before he could rule over Egypt. If Joseph's not in a good place here, if his faith is not strong, if he does not really believe the Lord is with him, here's his chance to get back at Potiphar, at everybody who did him wrong. He probably thought, you know, I'm valuable to Potiphar. He's not going to do anything to mess with me. He could have thought, I, I, I've overcome so much. They've all done me wrong, but I didn't let them put me down. I've been strong. I've worked hard. Look what I've done. Look at the heights that I've assailed. Everyone's serving me. I told them, and they couldn't stop me. And he could be puffed up with pride, and then here's his chance. Just one more, one more accomplishment. It's not what he does. Look at verse 8. But Joseph refused. And I got to tell you, when I read that, I'm like, thank God. I'm tired of seeing these men of God fall. But look at what he says to Potiphar's wife. It's a little kind of sketchy at first, but it, oh, I get it by the time it says, and, and he said to the master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he, he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in his house than I am. 
nor has he kept anything from me but, but except for you because you are his wife. It almost sounds as if he'd say, if it wasn't coming from Joseph, like, you know what? It's all mine. I've, I've accomplished everything, but you're the last prize. You're the only thing that he's held back, and here's my chance. But that's not what he's saying. He is saying, God has been so faithful to me. Everything has been such a blessing to me. The only thing that's been withheld from me is you, but you're his wife, of course. And then he says, look at the incredibly important words. He says, this is how you overcome temptation. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? Is that what he says? No. How could I dare do that to God? Do you have such an acute awareness of the presence of God in your life that you understand to sin is to do wickedness against God. Not just the woman, not just the man, not just the person, but against God. And so that's how faith gives you the strength to overcome temptation. It's faith to believe what he's been telling us in the scriptures. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Many years ago, I was on staff at Broadmoor, and we all went to a purity conference over in Texas, and the man said something that just hit me profoundly. He said, in your temptation against sin and lust and and temptation to pornography or any type of sexual sin, he says, remember this, that by faith, you are united to Christ. And what you do, you subject the body of Christ to. The more acutely aware you are of the very real presence of the Lord in your life, everything changes. It gives hope in the midst of terrible circumstances and it gives you power to overcome temptation to sin. How could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Verse 10, he says, and everything started going good from that point on because Joseph made the right decision, right? He made the right decision and it all started working out great because when you do good, you're going to get blessed and it's all going to be great, smooth sailing from then on, right? That's not what the scriptures teach us. It says that and as he made the great, faithful, bold, courageous stand to do what was right, As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her and to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left. He left his garment in her hand and he fled out of the house like he should have. And as soon as she saw that he left his garment in his hand. She got the idea. I know what I'm going to do. Verse 14, she called the men of their household and she lied and she made this whole thing up and said, see, he's brought this Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, but I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as I heard, as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left and he left his garment with me and he fled and got out of the house. And then she carefully lays the garment 
sets the scene just like she wants until the master came home and she told him the very same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought home to us came in to me to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted my voice and cried and he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house... As soon as his master heard these words that his wife spoke to him, saying, this is the way that your servant treated me, man, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and threw him into prison. The place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. You ever been falsely accused? I, I I got an idol in my heart, and that is the opinion of others. An idol is anything you have inordinate desire for. And it's one thing for people to know something about me that's embarrassing, and and that's hard enough. But to be falsely accused, to have someone think something about me that's not true, man, it kills me. I want to do whatever it takes to clear the air. And that's not a good problem to have in the ministry. But aren't you like me that when you're doing everything right, don't you kind of think that everything's supposed to go right? Don't you think I'm, I'm reading my Bible? I'm being faithful. I'm not doing these things. I'm walking the straight and narrow, Lord. Why in the world is this going on? Why are you allowing this to happen? And Joseph is doing everything right. He's proven to be a faithful man. He knows the Lord is with him. He's keeping his head down. He's not playing the victim card. He's not feeling sorry for himself. He hasn't lost hope. He's not holding vengeful anger and wrath towards everybody. He's not trying to strike out against him. He's not trying to get revenge. He's not trying to get even. He's just being faithful. And he flees from temptation. He doesn't commit adultery. He honors the woman. He honors his boss. He honors God. And he's getting down, down, down. That's what the narrative says. Down into the pit he went. Down to Egypt he went. And now down into prison he goes. His life is in a downward spiral. And all he's doing is faithfulness. Where is God in all of this? Is what we want to say. And the scripture keeps telling us three times in this chapter. The Lord was with him. We need to be reminded the Lord is with you in all these situations that you face. The Lord is with you. Now see, the problem is we're in the middle of the story right here. He's rotten in prison. If we stop the story and close the book and I'll say, I'll see you next week, we're going to be depressed for a week. So we're not going to do that. We're going to go ahead and get further along in the story. But see, that's the problem. We're not at the end of the story of your life either. And if you stop right now, it's going to be depressing because it's not the way it's meant to be. God hasn't finished your story yet. He has good in store for your life, even with all the evil that has been committed against you and even with all the evil that you have committed against others. God has a good, good plan for your life. If you are in Christ, you cannot imagine how the story is going to end. In the meantime, we must continue to be faithful and continue to trust the Lord, trust that he is going to make the fruit that he wants. You see, in the fruitfulness, it's up to God. 
Now, I talked about this a few weeks ago, and it ruffled some feathers in the church family. I said that God is sovereign over your wealth. And I stand by that because that's what the scripture says. We all should work hard, but at the end of the day, the Lord decides how fruitful you are. You may think you worked hard and that's why you got blessed, but I'm telling you, there are people who have worked harder than you who hadn't been nearly as blessed. The Lord decides the fruitfulness according to his purposes and his plans And he says, I'm going to bless Joseph. I'm going to make him extraordinarily fruitful. But he does not promise all of us to have the same fruit that we see in Joseph's life. He promises he will make it all for good, but it won't always be the same in this lifetime. We won't have the same fruit, but it'll be the appropriate fruit that God determines is best for his plan for your life and for mine. So he's thrown into prison. But did you notice again the little foreshadowing, the little breadcrumb, the little reminder that the Lord is still working? It says the prisoner, the prison he was thrown in is the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Aha! Why does he tell us that? Because the Lord is up to something good. Keep reading verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. I don't see, I don't see the Lord what Joseph could say. I don't see the Lord. Where's the Lord? I thought you said God was good. Here I am in prison. The Lord was with Joseph, showing him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So there's two ways to view this. God's given him favor in prison. God is good and God loves him and God is with him. Or, man, Joseph is just a bad dude. Everywhere he goes, man, he is just pulling himself up by his bootstraps and makes, makes lemonade out of lemons. It's not what the scripture says. That's not what Joseph says if we keep reading. But see, we need these constant reminders. The text keeps telling us specifically in chapter 39 three times, the Lord was with him. You see, you will not be faithful. You will not persevere in faithfulness if you are not in the word of God reminding you constantly, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you in that. The Lord has a good plan for you. The Lord is good. And if you aren't surrounded by Bible-saturated followers of Christ to remind you of these truths, if you think you're going to live a life of faithfulness out there on your own, by yourself, and you're not immersed in the Word of God, and you are not immersed in a family of people who are immersed in the Word of God, you don't have near the chance. We need these constant reminders because we live in a world of evil filled with suffering. God is faithful, God is good, God is with his children, and God uses evil for good. Continuing in verse 22, the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. Well, that doesn't sound like a great gig, does it? No one else is doing anything but Joseph. Or God uses Joseph's faithfulness to give him this path that he is rising up out of the depths. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because why? 
the Lord was with him. Read that with me. Because why? The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. If you are in Christ, the gospel guarantees that you are not a victim. If you are in Christ, the gospel guarantees that you are not a victim of your circumstances. You are not without hope. Your future cannot be stolen from you by anyone's abuse or evil. The gospel transforms our understanding and enables us to continue to persevere in faithfulness. God is always with you. He will never leave you. He always guarantees you have a hope. You are not a victim. You are a child of almighty God and he is able to do what he's promised to do. So I'll give you the cliff notes of what happens in verse four in chapter 40 for the time's sake. So, Joseph gets into prison and he shanked a rival gang inmate and he rises to the top. So you've heard the story. That's not what happens. Joseph trusts the Lord, obeys the Lord, and God is gracious to him. So Pharaoh has these two guys, a cupbearer and a baker, so they are making sure nothing's poisoned gets to the king. Well, king gets mad at them, sends them to prison, and we already know who's in that prison is because this is the prison where the king sends his prisoners. And so Joseph is there. The Lord has strategically placed him there. And these two guards or these two people, the baker and the cupbearer, have dreams, and they are discouraged because they don't know what the dreams mean. And so as God would have it, not as luck would have it, but as God would have it, Joseph was assigned to them. And the author says in verse 4, they continued some time with Joseph. I stopped of all the things we could say about this chapter. I want you to hear that phrase. They continued some time with Joseph. What does that mean? Joseph is in prison and in a bad place for a long time. This doesn't happen quickly, y'all. This is a lifetime we're reading about. We mustn't forget about how hard and long this journey is for Joseph, like we feel sometimes for our own lives. But then they say, well, what, he says, what's wrong? They say, well, we don't, we don't have an interpretation. And Joseph says, like it's simple childlike faith, well, do not interpretations belong to God. Please, tell them to me. And so he, they tell the dreams and Joseph gets it right. He tells them exactly what's going to happen. He says, you're going to be executed, you're going to be forgiven. And that's exactly what happens. But he tells the uh, cupbearer who, who was forgiven, the, the, bread, the, the, the baker was, was executed. And he tells the cupbearer, hey, don't forget me. Remember me. Does anybody remember me? I'm here rotting in prison. Don't forget me. But that's not how he's saying it. He knows. He's got faith and he says to the cupbearer, don't forget me. Verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Chapter 41, verse 1 says, after two whole years, two more years. Just say it quickly, it doesn't hurt. Two years he's rotting in prison having done nothing wrong. Finally, it says, Pharaoh dreamed 
that he was standing by the Nile, and then the whole dream is laid out there. And basically the dream is he has this dream of seven fat cows, healthy, good cows being swallowed up by seven scrawny, ugly cows. And then he has a second dream of seven bountiful ears, fat, good, healthy ears of grain being swallowed up by thin, unhealthy ears of grain. And so in verse 8, in the morning, his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of, the, of Egypt and all the wise men, everybody he could find. He's desperate to hear what does this mean? Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. And finally, the cupbearer says, hey, I know a guy. I met him in prison and he interpreted my dreams once. And so he's like, hey, I, no one seems to know. What do we do? And so he comes. In verse 41, 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. I don't feel like any of this is quickly enough out of the pit. But it says he was quickly drawn out of the pit. And when he had shaved him and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, if ever there's a time to do self-exaltation, this is it, Joseph. Here's your chance. Your five seconds of fame. Joseph looks at Pharaoh and he says, you are right. I'm the man you need. It's not what he says. He said, it's not me. But God will give Pharaoh the answer. That's the way I want to be. Chapter 41, verse 25, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The two dreams are one. God is revealing to Pharaoh what he's about to do. And he tells him, You're about to have seven years of plenty, bountiful harvest, and then you're going to have seven years of the worst famine ever. And so then he says to him, verse 33, and he straightens up his tie. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. And I just happen to have a resume. 34, let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven years, the plenty, and then let gather the food of these good years that are coming, store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh for the food in the cities and let them keep it so that the, the food will be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are going to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish. In other words, so that the people of the land may not perish through the famine. Verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? Has anyone seen a guy? I mean, we need a guy who can be in charge of all of this. And, and Joseph's like, really? Pharaoh then says to Joseph, well, maybe you're all I got. Since God has shown you all this, maybe you're the one to be so discerning and wise. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Everyone, including your brothers and your father, shall bow down 
to you, just as God said at the very beginning. So here we are starting to see God's plan all along was to get Joseph to a place where he could be used to save his people, to save a people and a land unto himself. This is a picture of God's plan. We need to realize that God is carrying out his plan to redeem and restore a people and a planet for himself. That's God's mission. Hear me carefully. That's God's mission is to redeem and restore a people and the planet onto himself. It is not, number one, his mission to make you comfortable and to make me comfortable. I don't like that, but that's reality. Our comfort is not God's first priority. We need to endure the suffering. We need to continue trusting the Lord in the midst of suffering and knowing he is carrying out his plan through us as we take the gospel to the ends of the earth, as we live it out faithfully, as we act like Joseph in the middle of the suffering and we continue to trust that God is sovereign, God is good, he is faithful, proclaim in the name of Jesus, endure the suffering until the time in which God finally exalts us to the right hand of the king. And that's exactly what happens to Joseph. He's exalted to the right hand of the king. That's exactly what we read in 1 Peter 3.22, which says the resurrected Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. All are bowing down to King Jesus. But how did he get to the exalted place? But through extraordinary suffering, even death on a cross before he was resurrected and exalted. And that's exactly the journey that we are on. And if we get confused on the order of things, we are going to be in a mess. This season is a season of suffering as aliens in, a, in our own land. The scriptures tell us in Romans eight seventeen that if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of, of God and fellow heirs with Christ and we rejoice and that is our confidence and our hope is that there is an inheritance coming in Christ. But it says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are heirs, that's for sure. It's coming provided we go through the suffering with him and we persevere in faith so that we may be glorified with him. Finally, we close with the naming of Joseph's two sons, for they leave us with two truths about which we cling to. It says, verse 50, Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. In the name of the second son he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. That should be our prayer. Lord God, make me fruitful in the land of my affliction. 
This is what the Lord will do for his children when we are at his side, when he returns, when we die or he comes back, whichever comes first, we will be able to sing forever with Joseph and all the saints in the choir. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has made me forget all my hardships. Do you know Jesus Christ, the Savior? Have you put your hope and faith in Christ alone? There is no other hope for eternal life. There is no other hope to make sense of the evil. There is no other hope of salvation from death, of resurrection unto life. There's no other hope for the future eternal glory that God has promised you except by faith in Jesus Christ. And for those who are in Christ, here's what we need to to hear today. God uses evil for good. So I'm going to say this gently because I know that you're in pain because we live in suffering. But here's what the Lord says. Stop making excuses for your sin. God uses evil for good. Stop blaming others for your sin. God uses evil for good. Stop blaming your circumstances for sin. Stop trusting. Start, excuse me, start trusting and obeying again. Stop feeling sorry for yourself and start trusting and obeying. Stop holding on to hatred, bitterness, and resentment. I know there's some pleasure in that, but it's, it's a terrible journey that ends poorly. Start enjoying the freedom of forgiveness. Maybe in your heart you can even begin to thank God because you know he's going to use that for some great good. Stop despairing and start dreaming again of what the Lord just might have in your story. Stop viewing yourself as a victim and start believing that you are a beloved child of God and he has a great future in store for you. Stop blaming God and start worshiping God who uses all for your good. Stop feeling hopeless and start hoping in God again. Father, we thank you for these blessed reminders of your goodness, your faithfulness, your presence in the midst of evil. Lord, I know so many people here have acute pain because of evil, sin. Either sin in general, the brokenness of this world and the health that we, we are, broken health, our failing health and death. Or more particular, our people love, once loved us, now hurt us and do evil against us. Or our own sin that we've committed and brought so much trouble upon ourselves. Lord, we can't even humanly explain it. We wouldn't even try to explain how. But we see in your scriptures a glorious truth that should transforms us. The gospel truth that you use evil for good. You love us. You're with us. You have a great plan. And we are in a season that we are going through this world. It's filled with many sufferings, but it, the end of the story is beautiful. We're exalted with Christ at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling forever. And may that truth, may those promises 
sustain us and enable us to persevere in faith. And Lord, if there are people here, I know, that, in, that have not trusted Christ as Savior, Lord, would you open their eyes and their hearts to trust Christ as their Savior? That we may glorify your name every day. Lord, you are able, you are powerful. We're going to sing this song with confidence and, and let it be a day of standing strong in the Lord and saying, I'm not going to play the victim. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. I'm not going to excuse sinful behavior. I'm not going to feel hopeless. I have a God who is able. As we sing about you, God, would you minister to everyone's heart here this morning for your own name's sake. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.